For those who were here last week, you'd probably recall that I came up almost immediately after the song to actually introduce our guest preacher because I forgot to do it in the announcement time. I yet again did it again by actually forgetting to actually announce that we do have a guest preacher for this morning and it's uh, certainly um, my privilege to um, just announce that we'll have Basil. So we've got both uh, Basil and Nikki visiting us this morning from Southern Districts Reformed Baptist Church. So it's certainly my privilege to be able to um, just invite Basil up to preach for us and bring God's word to us from our sister church, Southern Districts Reformed Baptist Church. Thanks, Basil. Thanks, Brett. It's great to be with you again, um, to um, catch up with you, to worship with you and fellowship with you, and uh, not only today, but uh, in our upcoming uh, Truth of the Gospel conference, which isn't far away now, so uh, looking forward to that very much. But for this morning, we'll turn our focus to... um, our uh, topic, which is announced in the bulletin as the abundant life that Jesus gives, and it's based on John uh, chapter 10 and verse 10, particularly the second part of that uh, verse. Um, John 10.10 10 says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. <clears throat> Before we begin the sermon, let me uh, let me pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for the time of worship we've had, for the uh, songs, for the prayers that have been offered up, for the um, uh, monetary offerings. Uh, Lord, all these things serve to praise you. And we thank you also that your word is a means of worshipping you as it's read, as it's preached, as it's uh, heard, and as it's obeyed. Lord, help us to hear it clearly this morning. Help us to be determined to obey it. And may it be preached faithfully this morning from this pulpit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. There's a, a popular teaching Uh, In Christian circles that says that if you become a Christian and if you exercise enough faith, God will bless you with all the good things of this life. He will bless you with uh, great and wonderful things, with uh, material blessings, and uh, you will have great success in all your relationships and business dealings and all the affairs of life. Uh, One popular author and preacher of this idea says this, let me quote him, he says, To live your best life now you must start looking at life through the eyes of faith, seeing yourself rise to new levels, see your business taking off, see your marriage restored, see your family prospering, see your dreams coming to pass. You must conceive it and believe it is possible if you ever hope to experience it. Well, is this, is this what the Bible teaches? Is that what Jesus meant when he said, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly? Did Jesus come so that you may experience your best life now? Did he come so that we may have life, that we may experience the full potential of this life, 
the abundant life by looking to God to bless us with all the material possessions and, and, and the wonderful relationships and the successful and prosperous uh, business transactions that our hearts could ever desire. Is that what it means? Is that what Jesus meant when he made that statement? Well, what does the Bible say? To answer that question, uh, let's look at Jesus' statement in John 10.10 and what he says about the abundant life. We'll do so under uh, three headings uh, this morning. I want to look at it under three headings. Firstly, uh, the abundant life refers to a spiritual life. That's my first heading this morning. The abundant life refers to a spiritual life. And I want to put it to you that when Jesus uh, speaks of the abundant life, he's referring to a spiritual life and the benefits that come uh, that come with it. Uh, the popular teaching of today, the, the, the so-called prosperity gospel, refers to a material or temporal benefits that relate to our lives uh, only in this world here. But when Jesus speaks of the abundant life, he's speaking of a, of a spiritual life. Well, let's look more closely at the text itself and also consider the context to support uh, this argument. Well, when Jesus made this statement, he did so in the context of teaching about uh, his own role as the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd who is contrasted with, uh, with thieves and robbers of, of those who enter the, uh, the sheep pen by, by jumping the fence or by sneaking in some other uh, illegitimate way. Uh, they come to, to steal or, or to kill the sheep, to destroy the flock and to cause uh, all kinds of harm and, and damage. But what does the good shepherd do? Well, let's read uh, John 10. Let me read verses 1 to 5. <clears throat> John 10, 1 to 5. I'm using the New King James uh, Version. Uh, some of the words, wording slightly different to what was read uh, from uh, uh, by Brett, uh, but uh, the meanings are the same. And if you do have some, um, if if it's not clear in the preaching what uh, uh, what the words mean, uh, please feel free to come and talk to me or to Brett afterwards. Let me read verses 1 to 5 of John 10. Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. See, the the good shepherd enters the the sheep pen uh, by the doorway. He he comes in legitimately. It's his place to do so. He he comes into his own. The, The sheep know him. They're familiar with his voice. They know his voice. And they run to him as he enters the sheep pen, and they follow him as he leads them out to the green pastures. He's not like the uh, like the modern day shepherd who who drives his flock, uh, who who sends out his dog to to bark at the sheep and and herd them by by frightening them into submission. No, the good shepherd leads his sheep from the front, and they follow him 
because they know his voice. They recognize him as the good shepherd and they follow. Now, Jesus uh, described uh, the role of a shepherd in this way to his listeners, but we're told in verse 6 they didn't understand, so he continued to explain further. Uh, let me read um, verses 7 to 15, <clears throat> John 10, 7 to 15. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of a sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more, more abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So he, he explains the role of the good shepherd further and he, he then identifies himself as the good shepherd, the one who cares for the sheep who gives his life uh, for the sheep. He says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. Verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. <clears throat> so he's the good shepherd who, who leads and cares for the, she- for the sheep. He's the one who calls the sheep and cares for them and provides for their safety and shelter. Unlike the, the hireling or, or the hired hand, uh, the one who is hired and, and paid to watch over the sheep, uh, who's only there to do a job for the money and who will, who will run and save himself and leave the sheep in danger if a wild animal attacks. Uh, unlike that, unlike the hired hand, the good shepherd stands his ground in the midst of danger and he risks his life for the sake of his sheep. He gives his life for them. And he, that is the good shepherd, is the one that the sheep follow because they know him to be theirs. They recognize him. They recognize his voice as the one who leads them and cares for them, and they follow him. So then Jesus contrasts himself as a good shepherd with with two kinds of people, those who are hired hands, who do not care for the sheep as he does, who will not give their lives for the sheep, and therefore expose them to danger. And he also contrasts himself with those who are uh, thieves and robbers who, who come into the midst of the sheep to, to steal or to harm, to, to harm the sheep. He is a good shepherd in contrast with both of these groups. Furthermore, Jesus also said that he is the door for the sheep. He mixes his metaphors here and describes himself in the same illustration as the good shepherd and also the door through which the sheep enter and and find life and provisions and and nourishment and blessings. Now, let's not get mixed up with the mixed uh, uh, metaphors. Uh, Let's not get confused. Uh, Jesus is simply explaining that he is both the entrance to life for his sheep and also the one who cares for his sheep 
uh, those who have entered and received life. Well, what's the point of all that I've said so far? How does it relate to our first heading here that, that the abundant life refers to a spiritual life? We need to understand that uh, what Jesus is presenting here is a, uh, an illustration that represents what he does for sinners. It's an illustration of the life and care and protection that he provides for sinners. It's a metaphor that represents Jesus as the one who gives his life for those who are, who are his. It represents sinners who have entered the sheep pen through the, through the true doorway which is Jesus himself. It represents sinners who recognize Jesus as their shepherd, who who know his voice, who follow him. It represents Jesus as the one who provides shelter and protection and nourishment for his people. And it represents false teachers and uh, worldly opposition who who seek to to come among his people to to cause havoc and to harm and, and damage those who follow him. And in the midst of this illustration, uh, Jesus says in verse 10, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So what could this mean uh, but spiritual life? What else could it mean? He has come that his his people may have a spiritual life and that they may have it more abundantly. He has come that sinners may be called to enter into life through Jesus, the doorway, and that they may enter his sheep pen to, to become a part of his flock and, and to, to hear his voice and follow his directions and leading and to be nourished by him and protected by him. He has come that those who are his may, be, may, uh, his may receive eternal life, uh, may receive an abundant life. Now, we'll see more abundantly, sorry, more particularly what, uh, what it means, uh, what this means to have the abundant life uh, under the next heading. But before we do so, let's consider a couple of applications from what we've said so far. So firstly, it's obvious that an abundant life, living life to the full in the sense that Jesus uses it here, is not enjoyed apart from having a spiritual life. You can't enjoy an abundant life in the way Jesus uses it, in the sense he uses it, without possessing spiritual life through Jesus. You can't enjoy any level of an abundant life apart from entering the, the, into the sheepfold of the good shepherd, uh, Jesus, through the doorway, who is also Jesus. And when Jesus talks about the abundant life, he's not referring to a life full of activity and busyness and achievements gained in this world uh, of a life uh, of traveling the globe and finding a fulfillment in visiting and exploring the wonders of, uh, of the planet or of um, uh, accomplishments of great feats in, in business or education or making it to the top of the corporate ladder or attaining a PhD in some area of study. The, the abundant life is not about that at all. When Jesus talks about the abundant life, he's referring to living abundantly in terms of your spiritual life. And that cannot be unless you have obtained spiritual life. You cannot enjoy it in the terms Jesus refers to without receiving life. And that can only be by repenting 
and believing on Jesus himself, the only door to the sheep pen, the only doorway to life. And only believers in Christ can have that abundant life which Jesus speaks of in our text. <clears throat> Secondly, if, if you say that you have entered the sheep pen of the good shepherd and you're one of his sheep, are you following him? His sheep know his voice and they go to him and follow him. Do you go to him and follow him? Do you follow his voice and his leading? The sheep do not need to be driven to go the way that he desires for them. He calls and they follow him. He says that plainly in verse 4. Some of us do need to be driven, and I'd, I'd venture to say that all of us at certain times uh, in our uh, walk with, with God need to be driven to follow the Good Shepherd. Our sinful nature often uh, comes into play. We find ourselves venturing uh, into uh, other fields or, or, or pastures where Jesus has not led. And he calls us back to himself, and we need to respond to that call. We all stray at some point in our Christian walk. But when we do, we need to repent and turn from our own ways and follow him, follow his ways. We do stray at times, but do we stray all the time? And are we having to be pulled back and driven all the time? If we always if we always need to be encouraged and urged and admonished to follow the good shepherd, are we really one of his sheep? We need to think carefully about this question. We need to examine our hearts, our motivations, to see if we are really one of his sheep who have entered the, through the door by repentance and faith in Christ or whether we are false sheep who have been carried along by the rest of the flock and we're trying to hide among the flock without having dealt with our own sin through faith in Christ. Well, that's the first thing I want to say about the abundant life that Jesus refers to, the life which he gives, that it refers to a spiritual life. But secondly, the abundant life is life in all its fullness. <clears throat> the abundant life is life in all its fullness. Uh, reading the text again, uh, John 10.10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. What does Jesus mean by the term abundantly or more abundantly? Well, the term abundant refers to something that exists in uh, large or excessive amounts. It can refer to something that is superior in quality. It can also refer to something that is beyond measure. Uh, the, the Lord uh, Jesus used the word in Mark 12 when he described those who are rich who contributed to the uh, temple treasury. Um, Let's have a look at what he says to help us uh, understand a little more of the word. So Mark 12, 41 to 44. Excuse me. 
Mark 12, 41 to 44. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor woman, sorry, one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. <clears throat> so he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they put in out of their abundance or surplus, I think the version you're using, a lot of you, uh, they put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. So Jesus commended uh, the poor woman who put in uh, all she had in comparison with the contribution of the rich. They contributed a vast amount of money, more, more than the poor woman, but it was all from the abundance of wealth, the abundance or surplus of wealth that they possessed. They they were very wealthy. They possessed an excessive amount of wealth, perhaps beyond measure. And Jesus used the word here to convey that idea that these wealthy people had an an enormous, a, a vast and excessive amount of riches in contrast with the poor widow who had so little. So when Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly, he's he's describing something of the vast richness of the life that he has come to give. He's describing something of the quality of life that he bestows on his followers, on, on his sheep. He's saying that he gives them life, but a kind of life that can be uh, characteristically described as abundant it can be described as a superior life, a, a superabundant life, a, a life a bursting with excessiveness. The abundant life is life in all its fullness. <clears throat> well, what does that mean exactly? What does that look like? Well, we've already seen that the abundant life uh, is a spiritual life, but what does it mean to have an abundant uh, spiritual life? Is Jesus talking about our life in heaven? Well, to answer these questions, we need to firstly refer back to the metaphor of the sheep in John 10. What is Jesus describing in John 10? As we've seen, he describes himself as the door of the sheep, the door through which the sheep enter into the safety of the sheep pen where they find comfort and protection and and a given life. And as we've also seen, he describes himself as a good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. He gives his life that the sheep may have life. He gives his life to protect and preserve their lives. But what else does he do with the sheep? Does he simply pen them up? Does he fence them off and ensure that no animal attacks them and that no thief comes in to steal or kill them? Does he simply stand guard over the sheepfold to ensure that the sheep continue their existence in the pen? Is that all he does? Well, what kind of a life would that be? If the sheep were confined in their pen to protect them and their 
they're giving some food and water each day, can that really be called an abundant life? That's more like prison life, isn't it? It can't be called an abundant life. There is life, but if that's all it was, they would merely be existing, and that certainly can't be called an abundant life. The, the good shepherd does far more for his sheep than merely pen them up. What does he do? Well, as a starting point, we note what Jesus said in verses 3 to 4. Uh, speaking of the good shepherd, he said, To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. What we're told here is that he, he leads them out of the sheep pen. Where does he take them? What, what does he do with them? Uh, verse 9 tells us a little more. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So the, the, the sheep go in and out to feed, to find the, uh, the, the good, rich pasture, which uh, by inference the good shepherd leads them to. He leads his flock to places where they can feed on lush green grass. Let's develop the metaphor a little more by looking at uh, Psalm 23, which is also read for us this morning. Um, <clears throat> Psalm 23 is also about the shepherd uh, and, um, and the sheep. In this case, it's David who speaks as a sheep who's cared for by the good shepherd. So Psalm 23. Um, first verse says, A psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David acknowledges that the Lord is his shepherd and therefore he will not lack anything. And that statement itself begins to tell us something of the life of the sheep. He does not lack. In fact, David as a sheep doesn't just say he doesn't lack, but that he will not be in want. In other words, he's, he's totally content and does not crave anything. What a bold statement that is from, from the sheep. It expresses the sheep's total satisfaction with his shepherd. It's a, a perfect a contentment with his lot in life. It's a wonderful statement about the abundant life that he lives. But then he continues to describe what the Lord, the good shepherd, does for his sheep uh, in, in Psalm 23. Uh, the next phrase is very interesting. He, he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. <clears throat> he makes me to lie down in green pastures. So one, uh, one writer by the name of uh, W. Philip Keller, who was uh, born in Kenya and he spent many years as a shepherd in Africa, um, makes, uh, makes an important point in his book, his excellent book uh, called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And uh, Keller says that it's almost impossible to make a sheep lie down unless four things are true. Unless the sheep is free from all fear, uh, the sheep is free of friction from other sheep in the flock, unless the sheep is free from the torment of flies or parasites, 
and unless the sheep is free from hunger. Unless these four things are met, the sheep will not lie down because they're in some way uh, agitated, uh, they're discomforted, they're nervous, and they, they won't lie down. But David here says that the Lord makes him to lie down. The good shepherd makes the sheep to lie down. How? Well, obviously the shepherd ensures those four things are met, those four requirements are met. He ensures that there's nothing to make the sheep fearful, such as wild animals. The sheep is fully confident in the protection afforded by the good shepherd. The good shepherd who willingly risks his life for the sheep. There's no predator that would make the sheep nervous. The good shepherd provides protection and assurance for his flock. The good shepherd also ensures that the sheep uh, do not harm or irritate each other. Uh, he brings peace and tranquility to the to the flock. There's no there's no sort of argy bargy within the flock of sheep pushing and and prodding one another. And when one sheep initiates that kind of behaviour, that kind of trouble, the good shepherd quickly steps in and calms the situation. So there is peace and calmness, such that each sheep may be comforted and restful. The good shepherd also cares for each sheep in such a way that the, that the sheep is free from uh, flies and, and other bugs. And perhaps this is what um, uh, verse 5 alludes to when David says, You anoint my head with oil. Uh, sheep are tormented by all kinds of flies, one of which uh, Keller tells us is the nose or nasal fly which buzzes around the sheep's head and it attempts to deposit its eggs on the sheep's nose and if that happens then the um, the eggs hatch and the larvae work their way up uh, to the sheep's head they burrow into the flesh and they cause irritation and inflammation and then, then the sheep will, will beat its head against trees or rocks or thrash around in the scrub to relieve the irritation and it may sometimes kill itself in that frenzy. What does the shepherd do? <clears throat> well, Philip Keller tells us this. He says, Only the strictest attention to the behavior of a sheep by the shepherd can forestall the difficulties of fly time. At the very first sign of flies among the flock, he will apply an antidote to their heads. I always prefer to use a homemade remedy composed of linseed oil, sulfur, and tar, which was smeared over the sheep's nose and head as a protection against nose flies. See, that, that was Keller's practice, and that's what the Good Shepherd does. He deals with those pesky bugs to bring comfort and rest to, the, uh, to each, each sheep of the flock. You anoint my head with oil. The, the Good Shepherd cares for the welfare of the sheep to protect him from the torment of flies and bugs. <clears throat> and the fourth requirement that the good shepherd meets is to ensure that sheep are well fed and free from hunger. And to quote Keller again, he says, A hungry, ill-fed sheep is ever on its feet, on the move, searching for another scanty mouthful of forage to try and satisfy its gnawing hunger. The good shepherd feeds his sheep. And if the sheep is to lie down, the good shepherd 
must feed the sheep well. He must keep them well fed. <clears throat> a, a shepherd leads his sheep out to the grassy meadows uh, to feed. And Keller tells us that the tablelands of the mountain country areas in various parts of the world are the, the areas which shepherds seek out for the sheep during the, the summer months. It's there that the sheep receive an abundance of nourishment from the from the feed, the available feed from the from the green and lush grasses which grow in abundance there. Perhaps that's what David referred to in verse uh, verse five, <clears throat> not verse five. Uh, yes, it is verse five, uh, where he says, "You prepare a table for me before me in the presence of my enemies." He's referring. He referred to the feast that his sheep would enjoy when he was led to these summer feeding pastures where there was such a a rich feed for him to enjoy and grow healthy and grow in satisfaction and contentment. So a good shepherd keeps his sheep well fed and nourished such that they lay down in green pastures. The picture here is of peace and tranquility, of contentment and satisfaction on the part of a sheep in which in what the good shepherd does for them the sheep's life is not one of mere existence but one that is blessed immensely and which can rightly be described as abundant now unfortunately we don't have time to go any further with with the sum uh, although there's a lot more that can be said but let me read a portion from uh, w philip keller's book that clearly demonstrates the difference between a sheep who has abundant life and one who is merely existing. <clears throat> and in, in his book, excuse me, <clears throat> in his book, Keller describes his own practices as a shepherd and he contrasts them with his neighbor's practices. Uh, the neighbor was indifferent and was cruel towards his own sheep. And Keller says this, <clears throat> As winter with its cold rains and chilling winds came on, my neighbor's sickly sheep would stand huddled at the fence, their tails to the storm facing the rich fields in which my flock flourished. Those poor, abused, neglected creatures under the ownership of a heartless rancher had known nothing but suffering most of the year. With them there had been gnawing, gnawing hunger all summer. They were thin and sickly with disease and scab and parasites. Tormented by flies and attacked by predators, some were so weak and thin and wretched that their thin legs could scarcely bear their scanty frames. Always there seemed to lurk in their eyes a slender, faint hope that perhaps with a bit of luck they could break through the fence or crawl through some hole to free themselves. And Keller then describes how some of these poor sheep did break through to his land and began to gorge themselves on the rich grass of his fields, but their bodies couldn't handle the sudden rush, the sudden rush of, of lush feed, and their, their digestive systems would sour. They'd sometimes die as a result. But he goes on to say this. I recall, I clearly recall coming across Three of my neighbors used lying helpless under a fir tree near the fence one drizzly day. They were like three old limp 
grey, sodden sacks collapsed in a heap. Even their bony legs would no longer support them. I loaded them into a wheelbarrow and wheeled them back to their heartless owner. He simply pulled out a sharp killing knife and slit all three of their throats. What a picture of Satan who holds ownership over so many. Let's end end of a quote. The the neighbor, the so-called shepherd, didn't give abundant life for his sheep. He provided some kind of existence for them. He gave them some food and water and, and perhaps provided some kind of shelter for them. They had life, but what a woeful existence it was. There was no watchful care for their welfare and protection. And when they were no longer useful for him, when they needed little of his time and attention, he, he simply killed them. And um, Keller's comment on that is what a picture of Satan who, who holds ownership over so many. Well, that's not the kind of life that the good shepherd provides for his sheep. The good shepherd gives an abundant life, a life of comfort, peace, tranquility, health, vitality, happiness, liberty, and so on and so forth. It's the abundant life, which is life in all its fullness. And it's a life perhaps summed up by David in Psalm 23, verse 6. <clears throat> Excuse me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the abundant life that the good shepherd gives for his sheep. well we've seen that the abundant life refers to a spiritual life that it's a life in all its fullness but finally um, our third and uh, final heading the abundant life is to be pursued the abundant life is to be pursued in other words we are to seek to have the spiritual abundant life it's it's to be sought after or, or pursued I say that because even though the good shepherd comes to give abundant life to the sheep, and I'm referring back to John 10 now, even though the good shepherd comes uh, to give abundant life to the sheep, the stubborn sheep may refuse to cooperate and may fail to benefit from the opportunities that are presented to him. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly he he desires to give us spiritual life and a life that is abundant a spiritual life in all its fullness and we are to to seek after it and to attain it and to lay hold on it but how is that to be done what are we to do what does god's word tell us it tells us that we are to attain uh, attain abundant life by spiritual means Um, what exactly does that mean? What are we to do? Well, firstly, consider consider what we are trying to attain. Keep in mind what we've just said about the abundant life. It's It's a spiritual life, a life of spiritual comfort and peace and tranquility and health and vitality and so on. How do we attain these blessings? We attain them by becoming healthy sheep, healthy sheep who are satisfied and content with their shepherd. 
And there are several areas in which we can, we can do so. We are to be sheep who follow our shepherd closely and who are to be sensitive to his voice. Uh, reading John 10, 3 to 5 again. Uh, to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. We, we are to follow him exclusively. We're not to be sidetracked by the voice or commands of others. We are not to follow strangers, those who turn us away from the word of a shepherd. In other words, who turn us away from the word of God. Our commitment and loyalty must be to, to Jesus our Lord exclusively and only listen to those who, who echo his commands. That means we're not, not even to listen to our own opinions and ideas where they conflict with the Lord's commandments. <clears throat> As sheep, we can do a... Uh, we can do ourselves a great deal of damage by going our own way, by straying off into uh, other pastures where we, we may meet with uh, poisonous weeds or predators and come to spiritual harm. <clears throat> we need to have close fellowship with our shepherd. We are to walk closely with him that we may know him be comforted and helped by his protection and care of us. Well, do we walk closely with him? Are we sheep who wish to be with our Lord as much as we can? Do we spend time with him each day in prayer and meditation on his word and, and seeking to be with him? One characteristic of sick sheep is that they wish to be alone. Uh, they wish to be away from other sheep and also from the shepherd himself. Well, are we uh, a sheep? Can, well, can, be, can we be characterized as a lonely sheep? Can you or I be characterized as a lonely sheep? Well, if that's the case, then we're not living the abundant life that the good shepherd desires us to have. We need to draw near to the Lord that we may become a healthy sheep who finds his comfort and pleasure in his shepherd. <clears throat> a second area that we need to address is that of feeding on the rich diet of his word in order to grow into healthy sheep. We are to desire his word and feed on it in order to, uh, to spiritually grow and to be healthy, to be well-fed and nourished sheep. Then we'll be satisfied and experience and, and enjoy the abundant life that he desires for us. Well, are we feeding on the richness of his word? Are we doing so regularly on a, on a daily basis? It, it can't be a weekly feeding. It can't be restricted to one hour sermon on Sunday morning. And if that's a sum total of your spiritual food, then you're lacking nourishment and, and, and you can't become a healthy and satisfied sheep. You'll be like that hungry, uh, ill-fed sheep which uh, Keller described as 
ever on its feet, on the move, searching for another scanty mouthful of forage to try and satisfy its, its gnawing hunger. And it, it feeds on anything it can find, often something that's not good for it. You won't experience the abundant life that fulfills you, makes you a satisfied and healthy sheep. You may even do harm to yourself by feeding on something that's unhealthy or poisonous, spiritually speaking. Well, are you and I feeding on the richness of God's word on a regular basis? Are we reading and meditating on the Bible each day? Take, or taking time to read some of the many good books that we're blessed to have available in our generation? Are you availing yourself of the teaching of your church, its preaching and other opportunities to learn from God's word? Again, feeding on one or two sermons on a Sunday is not enough to make you a healthy sheep or satisfy you. and It won't result in an abundant spiritual life. <clears throat> a third area in which we can develop an abundant life is to exercise our vigor and energy. An abundant life includes a life which is uh, vigorous, which is full of energy and stamina, and which utilizes that vigor in order to grow in strength and vitality and, and health. Having been nourished on the richness of the Word of God, we want to put it to good use and, and fulfill that desire to uh, accomplish achievements. That, that energy and stamina will result in a desire to, to serve, to actively serve our Lord and to serve one another. Now, strictly speaking, we've moved out of the metaphor of the shepherd and sheep, but this is what I'm saying is a biblical uh, concept, that of serving one another. Um, we as human beings have a, an innate desire to accomplish great things, don't we? Be it in the sporting uh, in a sporting event or by building something in our homes or achieving some academic success or in our jobs. For the believer, there must be a desire to, to serve the Lord and his people, and that will bring satisfaction. It will bring a sense of contentment and fulfillment when we do so. So when we assist a brother or a sister in some area of life, we have a sense of satisfaction that someone has benefited from our labor. Further to that, we to work together to bring unity and peace to the flock. Remember that a sheep, a sheep cannot lie down in comfort and peace if there's a friction and, and hustling within the flock amongst the sheep. The abundant life includes the experience of peace and tranquility among God's people, of peace and unity, and we are to work towards that. We are to work by ensuring that we ourselves are not divisive and causing trouble. We are to be at peace with others as much as lies within us. We are to address, sorry, we are to address any issues with others, any issue that causes uh, friction or, or unrest within the flock. We're not to simply live with a, a bad attitude. Uh, towards others because that's sinful and harmful both to ourselves and to the flock, to the church. We are to deal with any 
issue that causes friction. An abundant life includes a life of serving the Lord and his people, of dealing with issues to bring peace and tranquility to the of peace and unity to the flock so that we may all enjoy uh, a contented and tranquil uh, existence. <clears throat> well, let, let, me, let me leave it there and just conclude with, um, with this statement that when it comes to the abundant life, it's not about seeking to enjoy our best life uh, now by expecting God to bless us and give us, um, grant to us our every desire to rise to new levels of glory, whatever that may mean. The abundant life is our spiritual life. It's about our spiritual life and about closely following our good shepherd, uh, obeying his his voice, growing and developing into mature and healthy sheep, finding our comfort and peace and joy in him, glorifying him in all that we do and serving one another uh, that we may have a healthy uh, flock um, of brothers and sisters. If we do these things and we are truly living the abundant spiritual life that he gave his life in order to give us. Amen.